You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. You're listening to South Dakota Unlimited, the podcast for the average sportsman here in the 605, where we talk everything hunting, fishing, conservation, rules and regs, and anything else that impacts you as a sportsman in the 605. Hosted by C.J. Peters. Now let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of South Dakota Unlimited. Man, I tell you guys what, I haven't been able to get out a ton recently and I'm going nuts. I got a serious case of cabin fever and uh, you could say I'm going a little nuts, uh, but I did just buy a new bow. So uh, I'm pretty stoked about that to get that all dialed in and uh, see what she can do out to uh, some further yardage, about 80 yards or so, or however far I think I can shoot. Probably not near that far. I'm not that good. But anyway, I'm chopping out the bit for turkey season to get here, and uh, even more so for about August 20th when archery antelope gets here. But that's why today's episode is so important. Today I'm bringing on uh, Travis Thiel from Buckstorm, South Dakota, to talk about some off-season things to do to stave off or entice, kind of depending on how it affects you, cabin fever, and the off-season blues. This is an episode you don't want to miss uh, since we discuss a little bit of shed hunting, scouting, a lot of e-scouting, turkey hunting, and some off-season work to do with your bow, rifle, or whatever you use. So grab a beverage, please be non-alcoholic if you're driving, be safe, kick your feet back, enjoy the episode. Also keep a lookout for a surprise guest in there, in case you miss it, I'll uh I'll reveal it there at the end, but I'm sure you'll be able to tell right away. All right, let's get going. Hey, Travis, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Ready for the weekend. Um, so uh, we'll see how it goes and better weather now and hoping to get out shed hunting here pretty soon. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there. Yeah, you got any plans for that over the weekend? Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to this weekend. My little boy's uh, three, three-year-old birthday. So I better skip it this weekend to stay in good graces. <laughs> well, take them out and then they can find their own birthday present. How about that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, we'll kind of get into this here a little bit. We'll start off and I just want you to kind of tell us uh, who Buckstorm is, who you are, you know, what you guys do, how you got started. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. We'll fire you some questions as they come up. And uh, so let's start with that. Who is Buckstorm and well, who are you, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Well, my name's Travis Teal. Uh, Jeremy's my partner in Buckstorm, and we kind of got started, oh, back as long as I can remember, we've been videoing hunts. I mean, even back with the tape camcorders and all that, we've never really knew what we were going to do with it. We just video it, and then we'd all meet up, all of our friends, and we'd like rewatch a hunt or whatever the case on a grainy little screen on a $200 camera which was expensive for a camera <laughs> back then and uh basically we decided a while back me and my cousin um actually started buckstorm back in the college days that we were going to make dvds and with dvds kind of tapering out being a little more of a dying market one day we we're like let's make youtube videos why don't we get into that so we just kept filming like we always had and instead of making dvds and selling a handful of dvds we just were like let's just make youtube videos they're always going to be there we can relive it and that's kind of why we always did it was just to be able to relive the hunt more than mm -hmm. anything so 
it kind of stemmed from there. And then Jeremy shot a mule deer at three yards that year. We decided to do it. And we were like, all right, let's, let's edit this video. And that could be our first major YouTube video. <laughs> and that one kind of exploded. And from there, we just kept on going. And now it's gotten to a point where we try to post a video every single week of the entire year. So awesome. Yeah, you it's guys been do a fun out, ride. You guys do put up some awesome content. What, what, uh, just kind of curious, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to yeah. date you, but when did you start um, putting out the YouTube videos? What year was that? Um, man, I think it was probably about six or seven years ago. And Actually, it was longer than that. It might have been. I think it was about eight years ago when we did our first one, but it okay. was kind of less serious. It was like, I think that year we maybe posted one video. It was just that one video. And then uh, just kind of stemmed from there. But I, it was about eight years ago and Buckstorm really kind of launched, I guess you could mm -hmm. say, for real, the two years ago. So Okay. And for you, you were in college, you said, when you start? You started that? Yeah. So initially we were in college and we started it, but that was before we had the YouTube focus. Okay. Um, me and my cousin when we were doing DVDs. So we technically started it back then, but the YouTube part of it started about two and a half years ago when we actually mm -hmm. decided to form the LLC and hit it a little harder. Yeah. I can just kind of picture the whole conversation here because I, I don't know how many times I had this conversation in college, but you actually put the. <laughs> put, but uh, what what are they called? But you know, you actually took it and you you're, uh, took it to the road and actually did it. Because <laughs> all, right, all of our right. conversations in college were, you know, we had a little few too many beers and we're like, what if we did this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and there was a lot of those, and that's kind of why it dissolved because we didn't know what to do. You know, like right. how can we actually do something that might have an impact on like the future of hunting and be helpful to people and um that's where youtube kind of kicked in and just was the perfect platform for i mean i think anyone that hunts watches youtube videos on hunting i mean that's kind of the go-to source and don't get me wrong there's still something about certain dvds that you just got to have them but <laughs> yeah no i definitely agree like those white tail adrenaline ones I'm, a, yeah, I'm such a jerky sure. on those and, and you're exactly right before we even got on this i was actually watching the the, the hunting public yeah. YouTube <laughs> yeah we we hung out with the the whitetail adrenaline guys down at the nebraska show and that was a pretty good time oh that would be a lot of fun talking some traditional stuff because i've been looking at getting into that more it was it was pretty interesting. Yeah. I, uh, my traditional bows is a, a 1974, uh, bear grizzly, uh, 45 yes. pound recurve thing. It's freaking sweet. And I, I'm actually looking at, you know, I just bought, I told you earlier, I just bought another, uh, compound, <laughs> but I'm still looking at getting another traditional. There's just something about it. It just can't be matched. Yep. That's awesome. That's my new goal is to shoot a mule deer close range with a long bow or a recurve. Well, if you get in another three yards, like, like, like Jeremy did, then yeah, I would exactly. hope you couldn't miss with anything. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I shot one a couple of years ago at about that. And I just looked down my arrow. You can't use a sight when you're that close. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that that's an awesome goal to shoot for. And that'll be an awesome video. So I'm looking forward to when that one, that one will drop. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it, we'll see how it goes. Just got to have the right conditions. Yeah, absolutely. So Buckstorm, uh, if I'm not wrong, this is not your full-time job, correct? What do you do outside of this? Right. So I'm a sales manager at Liberty Dodge Ram in Rapid City. Um, I'm the numbers guy. Uh, we sell trucks basically. So uh, lots of the Ram trucks. We have quite a few different brands that are other stores and I have twins at home. So kind of a busy guy working 50 plus hours a week in the car business. And most of these videos are made by edited by yours truly at about one o'clock in the morning <laughs> after work. So it's not like I sit at home and do this full time by any means long, long ways from it's just kind of a passion and um, normal, normal day to day, just like everyone else. But I just make time, you know so uh, sleep uh sleep a little faster and you can get a lot done yeah i was gonna say you've mastered the art of uh no sleep right about three or four hours a night <laughs> yeah for sure the twins kind of broke me in and jeremy has twins too so it's kind of ironic that um 
both of us have some late nights working on stuff but (laughs) i I didn't know you guys both had twins that's nuts yeah they're only a month apart too what are the odds oh man that that sounds like it'd be crazy when you guys get together yeah something in the water out here (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so uh we'll kind of get started we'll kick off with some uh just some off-season scouting um mostly for the listeners out there we'll kind of be mostly talking about deer um I know yeah. Buckstorm guys and you, especially Travis, you talked about some, you talk about some elk sometimes and yeah, and, for sure. uh, feel free to throw that in. Uh, we'll talk off season scouting, some shed hunting, e-scouting and some other things to go along. So uh, we'll just kind of get started. Um, yeah. So let's kind of work chronologically, I guess, through the year. Uh, so we'll start off, say January, we'll do the late winter, you know, January, February, there's some snow on the ground. What does your scouting look like at that time of the year? Or are you even scouting? Yeah, so we use uh, shed hunting as a big, big tool. Um, and that's what we're mostly doing. Like January and February, even if the, the deer haven't dropped, I don't like going in and bumping them around too much. But we'll keep an eye on different areas. And we kind of just watch for sign. I mean, when there's snow on the ground, it's easy to figure out where the deer have been living. Um, even if you're driving down a road, you know, you can tell where they've been crossing, where they're feeding so on and so forth. So, uh, January and February and out where we're at, the deer actually drop very early. Um, a lot of the deer drop in late December and most of the deer have dropped by late January. So we're already shed hunting. Um, this year has been a little tricky with the warmer weather. There's a little more spread out, but that's probably the biggest thing I'm looking for. Not so much like trying to pick up sheds in January and February, but trying to figure out where they're wintering. So we know where to go back to, to pick up sheds um, okay. once they've all dropped. So, and so what are those areas usually? Look, so correct. You guys are in, for those who don't know much about you guys are in West river primarily, correct? Correct. So Western South Dakota, we live on the, in the base of the black Hills um, where Prairie meets mountains basically small mountains and uh we do a lot of shed hunting in the hills on public land and then we do some shed hunting on the prairie too um Mm -hmm. i don't i don't particularly i don't really believe that in my personal opinion late season scouting on the prairie as as productive if you're looking for intel on the following year because a lot Mm -hmm. of those deer they just winter where there's food so out west you'll see most of the deer in a winter wheat field for example there might be 150 deer in one winter wheat field they don't ever leave the field they lay out there they stay there they might go into like a surrounding draw but -hmm. some of those deer might be they might actually summer and during season they might be three four miles away like down the river bottom or wherever the case so it is still a good tool but i think it's more of a like in the Black Hills, the home ranges are a little bit smaller for these deer. So if you do find mm-hmm. a shed, you you can kind of target that area if it's a big deer that you want to hunt the next year. Use that intel, and then when you place your cameras that summer, you kind of have an idea where to start. Right. So you're saying uh, prairie is like where obviously that winter wheat is, and that's where uh, those deer will congregate for the most part. Yeah, I mean they'll they'll hit corn and mm-hmm. beans and whatever else is out there, but winter wheat seems to be the candy this time of year. Right. Um, especially if the winter's bad. Also, hay yards, haystacks—they really okay. like hay bales. Those are basically shed traps. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they'll tip. just rip a hay bale to the ground this time of year. It's pretty wild to watch, but that would be pretty cool. And so then, as you transition into the Black Hills, kind of that area um you're kind of keying in um what, what what i guess would be the late season food source at that time um in the hills it, it's kind of different they're they're eating more of a you know they have the hard grasses they have uh they actually really like i can't even think of what they're called but they're like little green um uh what am i trying to say here uh like a little evergreen type bush a little Oh, I know what okay. it's called. I just can't think, but they actually do keen on those in during hard winters because they're always mm-hmm. a, a little higher out of the snow. But you'll always see deer tracks around those little those little green bushes. And I don't know why I can't think what they're called, but you, um, not the jack pines, is it? Or the no, no, not a jack pine. It's it's more of like a 
gosh dang it i can't <laughs> think of what it's called you're pulling on me yeah for sure they're uh it's it's like a little low lying it's not a tree it's an actual bush that's okay. low to the ground and they grow in like thicker patches usually in higher elevations but there's some in lower elevations in the hills as well but a lot of the deer too in the black hills depending on where you're at if you're near like a small town or if you're near like a small housing development there's lots of cabins they'll even go feed in there and they'll hit the main meadows anything south facing that's melted that has grass on it they're used to not having corn or anything like that so they're mm-hmm. just basically surviving um they'll eat whatever they can possibly find that time of year to get through the winter mm-hmm. and you'll notice like we leave our cameras up pretty much year round just to watch like their behavior throughout the winter and there's after a bad winter those deer do not look healthy in february and march coming off of it they're skinny this year's been good they look really healthy because there hasn't been as much snow early it waited mm-hmm. so they were able to put on the weight but there's been years that i checked a camera and i literally just stayed out of there entirely because i didn't want to pester those deer because they looked so they just were so unhealthy at the time i didn't want to go in there and run them around because really you could kill one if they're that malnourished at that time of year so yeah i was actually going to ask you about that so when you when it is like a harsh winter and no matter where it is i've heard of guys doing this um you know if it's a good winter a lot of guys will go in like really get into the bedding areas see where those deer are bedding kind of look around from the from the deer's perspective from their bed to see what they're what they're able to see and that way you kind of set up on that bedding area out you know in season and kind of prepare for that but in like a harsh winter you guys pretty much just stay out yeah, I mean, until it gets a little better and it's been melted for a little while, or we'll we'll go in pretty non-invasive, like we aren't making a ton of noise, we're trying to be a little quiet, and I'm not too worried, like most of those deer that time of year, they're not that spooky either, so if you do bump one, it's not like they're going to run two miles, mm-hmm. they're probably going to run over the first hill, lay back down, but if you're, if you're going in like right after a bad blizzard or something, when those deer are really malnourished and you bump them, get them running around, it could be rough on them. I mean, I, I think that it's not like a primary factor, but it's just something good to pay attention to. If you're having a brutal winter, mm-hmm. maybe just leave them alone and wait a month to go shed hunting. Cause it's, the sheds will still be sitting there. Chances are, if it's that brutal out, there's not a lot of guys out there putting boots to the ground. But my favorite thing, honestly, about shed hunting is especially like this year with this mild winter, when we've been out the few times we've been out, uh, you can still see like deer scrapes from November. You can still see a lot of that rut sign, like the, the fresher rubs. And you can tell all of it's that from that year, like mm-hmm. the fresher scrapes and the pine needles under a pine tree, whatever the case, you can kind of find scrape lines. Well, chances are they're going to be back there the next year. So it's really good scouting intel, even more than just like taking inventory from sheds. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for elk i know we're mostly focusing on deer but if a guy knows nothing about elk shed hunting is like one of the most important things you can do because you go put on a bunch of miles you can find these fresh elk rubs find these rut areas so you know where to go the next year but i think that's one of my favorite things about shed hunting is just finding those areas being able to see that i mean i think i have three cameras um right now that i've on they're on scrapes that i've found while shed hunting and they've been some of the most productive areas that i've ever hunted just because they they're super heavily utilized scrape but i would have never found them had i not went shed hunting there so and so those are are those three scrapes that you're talking about are those like near bedding areas or they come you know obviously they're they're on like a fringe but okay most of them are kind of on a fringe edge so in the hills they can kind of bed anywhere but there's still some of those like thicker downfall areas and thicker timber areas where the deer prefer to bed um so we try to stay on those fringe areas i mean we'll shed hunt the bedding area and everything too but as far as hunting goes we usually stay out of the bedding areas until november and Mm -hmm. so we're just kind of hunting those fringes where maybe there's a big meadow with a spring in it where you know the deer are going at night and just kind of put yourself in in position in between those timber stands or the thick downfall, wherever you think they're bedding in between mm-hmm. there and the food source in a pinch point uh, where two to three draws come together. And 
that's kind of my favorite way to hunt is I mean, obviously trails come together too, but pinch points seem to be like the natural flow director, especially when mm-hmm. you're hunting more of like a mountain setting where they're going to follow those drainages to food. They're not typically not just going to climb over a big hill to get there. They're going to take the path of least resistance. So, mm-hmm. so you always hear about like, um, well, I guess I always hear about for us, East river guys, we're not near as well versed as this hill country like you guys are. So when you're, if, if I were to go out there and you know, a lot of the stuff I've heard from the, you know, I guess you could say the powers that be of, of deer hunting hill country, um, they talk about beds on like South facing slopes, like kind of like you talked about kind of in, in those winter months and, and sometimes in, in the warmer oh, yeah. months, there'll be like the North facing slopes, you know, there's kind yep. of that, that rule I've heard before, like the big bucks will bed and like the top third of that ridge system do you find that to be true um throughout the year or are they like you said kind of down in that thicker that thicker deadfall and things like that yeah i think i mean it kind of varies but south facing slopes are like our number one target when we're shed hunting so this year is a little different because there wasn't as much snow um so they had really no reason to stay on the north facing slope but naturally they're still going to favor the sunny side i mean it's a little warmer when it's still cold out it might mm-hmm. not be snow but i don't know about you if you could lay in the sun or lay in the cold shade i think you know which one you'd pick so well I, I'm, uh, I'm a redhead so the sun's my natural enemy so. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes but south slopes we pick up a good majority of our sheds and sometimes you'll get like a thick timber stand on a south face like south facing ridge where even though it's thick it still melts first. So that's probably a very primary bedding area that that year, if there's not a lot of snow in there. And sometimes even if there is snow in there, they'll just find a little melted pocket. And we've picked up sheds before when there's a foot and a half of snow mm-hmm. and you find mm-hmm. a little melted pocket, like where there's a gap in the trees and the sun bakes that little spot away. And it's kind of fun because you hop around from dry spot to dry spot you're never going to find one in the three foot of snow unless it's sitting on top mm-hmm. but we picked up quite a few sheds doing that too so south facing is kind of key i bet we spend 80 percent of our time on south facing or southeast or southwest facing slopes usually not north slopes because typically when they're dropping in the mountain country anyhow there's a f- couple foot of snow on those north slopes Right. And they kind of try to avoid those. You get to them and there's very few tracks through them usually. So so how would that translate, I guess? So if obviously the south facing slopes, like we, you talked about, that's going to be more in the wintertime because the food source is going to be there. How does that then translate? Are they going to kind of stay bedded near in that kind of same area, just kind of go to the northern side where there's more shade where they can kind of cool down in bed? Or um, do they just yeah, kind of go summer to months different? It- in the summer months it seems like they'll bed in that denser stuff and north facing slopes and anywhere cooler um down lower in ravines near streams where the thermals drop into um Mm -hmm. but it's pretty crazy because out here it could be 100 degrees and the next morning like up in the higher elevations it's like 40 45 so those thermals are absolutely insane that time of year so i think those deer kind of favor those lower line areas in mm-hmm. the summer and they'll still go high i mean it's really hit or miss it's hard to figure them out more than anything out here i, I really do prefer prairie hunting because it's a lot easier to figure out what a deer's doing mm-hmm. and out here like i still haven't figured out how to pattern a hill's deer entirely especially <laughs> after september gets here and the velvet comes off it seems like they just completely change everything even if they're unpressured but mm-hmm. It's yeah, a little bit different world hunting the the hills than the prairie, I would say for sure. Yeah, I definitely found that out this year because man, they just disappear straight into those trees and you never find them again if you get them out of an open area. Right, right. Um, and that's where like when we're bow hunting, I I think it's kind of important. That's why we run so many cameras and we try to hunt those different pinch points and whatnot to kind of keep from bumping them out of their bedding area. Cause if you bump a deer in the Hills, I mean, good luck ever figuring them out again. They they'll come back to the same area, but it's instantly a change. I mean, I've even jumped a deer, like walking into check a trail camera in August and had mm-hmm. them disappear for a week 
and there's been other deer that I've bumped and that you got them that night. So it's really just hit or miss. I try to go in quiet and as slow as possible. And if you do jump on, just kind of let them wander off and just use a little caution, common sense. And right. the less human interaction they have, the better chance you're going to have of catching up with them come season for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of translating what we talked about here in shed hunting and scouting mostly into how you use the same kind of tactics in, in the prairie system and more just the West river versus the black Hills. Um, yeah. When you're doing scouting in the prairie, uh, you know, early spring, late winter, mostly early spring, cause we already kind of talked about the shed hunting, um, yep. just hitting those high feed areas. What are you looking for early spring when you're going out to scout a new area in the prairie? Typically on the prairie, I think your best chance of figuring out every deer that's out there is to target water and primarily water because there's probably going to be a fair amount of food coming up in the spring. So you can put cameras wherever you want to, you can glass wherever you want to, but I think water is the one thing that there's not a ton of on the prairie. I mean, you have dams, you got some rivers, you got some streams, but it's not like there's a slew every quarter mile, like when you get further mm -hmm. east in the state or into Nebraska or Kansas or Iowa or whatever the case, there's just a lot less water. So targeting water, in my opinion, is the best way to figure out inventory, whether or not you're going to hunt that water and you have some other cameras around too, that you want to figure out where they're coming to and from. Um, there's a lot of what a South Dakota would call a draw, you know, just a thick, thick tree draw shelter belt type deal mm -hmm. that runs down and they're, typically they're dammed up somewhere along there for cattle or whatever the case. And those are kind of their little refuge in the summer. They'll stay in those. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a big draw, just a smaller area. And they'll hit that same water over and over. And typically within a few miles, there's probably only a few water sources. So if you put cameras on every water source, you're probably going to be able to figure out mostly every deer that's in that area. Then once you kind of figure out, maybe there's one that stands out from the others you can target that specific area a little harder figure out how you want to hunt it where they're bedding so on and so forth but i've had pretty good luck over the years targeting that water and even hunting the water is a great resource too especially on a dry year kind of like this last year uh, that was just super dry and everything was dried up exactly <laughs> yeah this last year was like the easiest year I've ever had as far as patterning a deer went um, on the prairie in the area that didn't have the, if there's a river, it's a little different because they can drink wherever, but mm -hmm. in the areas with just those pothole dams and it's pretty, they're pretty predictable because that's one thing they have to do. They have to drink and maybe it's a stock tank, you know, there's plenty of those around too, but mm -hmm. um, between stock dams, stock tanks and small streams, you pretty much have your water sources covered on the prairie. So if you target those, you're going to find the deer. And if you don't find the deer, they're probably not there at that point because they have to drink or you <laughs> missed the water source. Yeah. So, so that kind of leads us straight into the next thing. So finding these water sources or finding, like you said, in the hills, finding these, uh, the saddles, the pinch points, e-scouting. Like, is that how yep. you find 90% of your, of your, your water holes, your pinch points, your saddles, things like that? Yeah, probably a hundred percent of them, honestly. Uh, in the hills, it's a little trickier because there's a lot of springs uh, coming out of the steeper elevations, but I use, I use e-scouting. I'll pull up a map and I'll just go to the most basic map that shows just water, no elevation, nothing. And I'll look at those areas I'm hunting and I'll find these springs and I've been there and there's no water, but I just, I'll just walk those that summer. I'll so, sometimes I'll literally just walk every little watershed in that area. If I haven't been in that area until I find a spot where it's pooled up. And mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I actually, I put the booze to the ground for three days trying to find a spot that I really liked. I had my rifle elk tag, but I was, kind of scouting for deer too and there was a lot of water that year so my plan was to find something not just a stream find a bigger pool of water where they might congregate a little heavier because naturally they just they like to lean towards those bigger bodies of water when they can mm -hmm. and 
I ended up finding this hidden little pocket dam that usually is actually dry, but I found out now this last year, there was no water in it, but I found that dam and it was like 15 feet deep in the middle of the forest, miles from any road, like hidden basically. So I put cameras up there and the amount of deer and elk traffic in that area that year was absolutely insane. And even this year with very little water in there, um, my dad's buddy ended up shooting a 330 inch elk with his bow right in that exact same spot. But wow. I would have never found that had I not e-scouted first, found that watershed because it doesn't show up. It doesn't look like water at all on a map, but just looking at that base layer where the water's at, little tiny blue line and mm -hmm. walking those drainages it's just a good resource especially in the hills and on the prairie looking i mean it's a little easier to find those dams so i'll just if i know i'm going to go hunt an area and maybe i want to put cameras up there maybe i'm not even putting cameras up there i'm just gonna sit on a hill and glass or observe or whatever the case i'll just put waypoints on every water source i can find within like two square miles and then you kind of have it picked out. You can kind of try to figure it out. If you got a deer on three of them, but he's not hitting the other three, then that's pretty good intel to know, okay, these are the three water sources he's using. Where's he coming from? Where's he bedding? Um, which routes he taking? And usually you can find some consistent patterns where they might bed. If they bed in one spot, they're hitting one of two water holes. If they bed in another spot, they're hitting the other one. It's not like they go to the same spot every day. Mm -hmm. It'd be too easy if they did, but it's a, it's a huge tool. E-scouting is like number one. If you only could do one form of scouting, that would be the one you'd want to do. Even over boots opinion. on the ground? So, Even over I, boots on the I ground? mean, I think they kind of go hand in hand, but without it, you're going to put a lot of miles on and they're not going to be that effective. I mean, they still can be, but you're also in there disturbing stuff, which in the spring and some, like early summer is probably not a big deal, but it's nice because you can literally scout without disturbing a thing. Um, we even do it a lot of times like mid-season. We'll go hit up a spot we've never been that we never even scouted. We might just try something different, but we're still e-scouting that before we go, figuring out a plan. Like here's water. Here's what we would think would be bedding. There's some egg land on private land next to it. Um, so that's probably their main food source and then just kind of put together well if nature runs true they're probably hitting this food source this water source and where are they bedding and kind of trying to figure out a game plan to catch them in between and so it's kind of a i'd say it's probably one of the biggest tools and i think most guys are doing it now but if if a guy is not using some sort of there's a bunch of good ones but any of the good e-scouting apps, mm -hmm. Onyx Huntwise, whatever, they're they're missing out because that's like in the field too. I mean, we use it constantly. I mean, constantly. I if my if I didn't have my phone, I'd be like, man. <laughs> I mean, did it for years without any of this, so it's still definitely doable. But it's just why not use everything you can to increase your odds? Yeah. It's such a good tool. Um, so, so what I'm hearing from you is, you know, obviously e-scouting is like king right now, and it really should be because there's so many good platforms out there right now, and you can use that in association with Google Earth. Um, yep. And we could do a whole podcast on that alone. Oh, um, for sure. But so essentially, like what I'm hearing is what you do, and, and and how you're using it is one, you find the water source, but then two, you use satellite images as well and you zoom out and you're looking at the big picture trying to decide and determine you know okay well here's the water source here's the food source where would be an awesome bedding source or bedding area yep. and then yep. how are they traveling that based on the topo maps and how everything how cover is and and everything else exactly exactly that's 100 percent it and we use it for shed hunting a little different too like we'll put waypoints on all the main south slopes that we think are going to be the best and we'll kind of hop from one to the next to the next so on and so forth but that's more from like effectively finding shed tool than uh effectively finding where the deer are living come season tool so right. so you, you use you it for, every for shed hunting. 
yeah oh yeah big time especially for elk sheds that's where we use it the most but um we still like hiking so it's like we'll pick an area we'll put a couple waypoints and then we just go and sometimes you get out there and you see a spot you just want to go check it out you just go check it out so once we get out there i mean we're there because we e-scouted it typically or we've been there before probably Mm -hmm. because we e-scouted it to find it in the first place but we uh we just use it constantly and then you get there and a lot of times it's not what you expect you know it's different like sometimes you e-scout and you're like man this looks great and you get there and it's just like the dead sea so it's not always a home run but you kind of start to pick up on some consistencies on different similarities of another area maybe that you've e-scouted effectively before and then when you go to the new area it might might play out pretty much the same or it might be different because there might be a different food source or water source Mm -hmm. and that's where putting boots on the ground is important too, not just e-scouting, but I feel like e-scouting is number one when it comes to a starting point. Um, just getting, especially if you're not familiar, like if you're already familiar with the area, probably not that important. If you've hunted it your whole life, you probably already kind of haven't figured it out, but if you're going to a new area or you're going, I mean, even if you're going public land hunting in another state, you really don't need Intel from someone. You just need to study those maps and study the like you know the different success rates for different Mm -hmm. units across whatever state you're hunting and figure out what unit you want to hunt and then just start studying those maps basically Mm -hmm. and and so i guess so even though you've been hunting the hills prairie area for however many years you've been doing it you guys are still hitting like new areas constantly and trying to find new areas even though you found success in areas you've already been at yeah we I don't know. There's something that like drives us to do something different every year. So mm-hmm. even though we might've had success in one area, we still have cameras and we kind of have that area figured out. So we don't have to spend a lot of time in that area. Cause we, we feel like we already know where to put our cameras and affect how to effectively scout it without really being there. So we still scout those areas, but we aren't, dedicating a whole day to hiking around or anything in those areas so that's when we'll branch out and hey let's try this area and throw a couple other cameras up in an area we've never been and i bet over 50 50 percent of the spots that we hunt now on any given year are new spots that year just because that's how we like doing it it's just it's a little more rewarding than putting mm-hmm. a tree stand in the same tree every year which can be really effective if it's in the right spot, it's in the right spot, but it's just kind of fun to start over every year. And it's almost like hunting a different state when you go somewhere new and redo it. And if you find a deer and follow them and end up harvesting that deer, it just makes it all that much better. Yeah. And that's the beauty of South Dakota. I mean, we've got like, we're talking mainly West river and Hills here. Um, yep. we, we got that whole other, I guess, basically ecosystem terrain, whatever you want to call it in, in the Eastern half of the state. And you can oh, do, absolutely. definitely do both, which is so cool though, because the Western half of the state has so much public ground. You can hunt for years yep. and never even see it all. Oh yeah. I've been, I've, I couldn't even tell you how much I've seen. And I bet it's like 1% of the total public land in western south dakota i mean just right here in the black hills there's 1.2 million acres of public land which isn't and and then right in my backyard half a mile from my house it's just crazy yeah it's it's such a cool resource and then all the bureau land management management land in west river is just insane all the different grasslands it's just so many opportunities and if you get board hunting in south dakota I don't know what to tell you, man. You, you just are impossible to please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. And, and that's another thing we like to help people out through our platform um, that are coming to South Dakota hunting. They can reach out to us. We, we always respond to messages. It's not like we're dropping waypoints, but we'll try to at least point them in the right direction. It's not like there's, there's plenty of public land to go around, mm-hmm. put it that way. So if somebody's willing to come in, work, work hard do it the right way we got no problem helping point them in the right direction yeah that's awesome i mean that's what that's what hunting's all about just getting out there helping other people getting to know each other but exactly that's uh that's outdoors and that's what we want um getting back to the scouting thing now that we took yeah for sure (laughs) um so we use you know the actual online maps onyx hunt stand hunt wise 
whatever your base map, also a good resource, Google Maps. Yep. Um, yep. I think you said you also use uh, or have a, a paper map. Um, is that a great yeah. resource? Would you encourage people to do that? Um, and then how are you using that in conjunction with the, the, the online apps? Yeah. So what I like to do, uh, there's a company here in South Dakota, it's called Heritage Maps. And you can send them like a little area that you want to hunt and they'll blow it up and give you a map that's like five foot long. I mean, it's just awesome being able to stand right above it and look at it versus scrolling through a phone, smaller areas. It's just different. You can really like, it's like you're looking down on it. It's hard to explain, but when you have that map sitting in front of you, you see stuff that you never see on an app because when you zoom in on an app, you can only see that small area. You can't see the surrounding areas. Um, I like to e-scout on a computer a lot. It yeah. helps, but having that map, if it's an area that I wouldn't like get a, that, get a map for that area. If you just think you're going to hunt there more, it's more of an area that you you've hunted effectively. You've kind of had figured out, but maybe you think there's more opportunity and there's something you missed. It's a really good resource uh, just having it. And it's kind of cool. Cause like we like to growing up, we used to always just take the big forest service map and we'd put like little sewing needles where all of our tree stands were and stuff before, <laughs> before Onyx and any of those ma maps existed. It was just a really cool, cool way to do it. And so that's always been like one way that I've, I've liked to look at a map, especially those maps. Cause they, they have some contour to them and they can kind of do whatever you want. It's also great if it's like a private piece that you hunt. Maybe it's like 640 acres, whatever the case. Uh, you can just blow up the area you hunt and then you can really look at it and like, okay, there's a little watershed here. I didn't even really realize it was there. Mm -hmm. It leads over to a major bedding area or whatever the case. And it's just a cool perspective. Um, probably not 100% necessary, but it's definitely an effective way to kind of target a specific area. Yeah. And I think it's, it's awesome. Like, like I, I said earlier that I'm a huge hands-on guy and I feel like a lot of hunters are hands-on guys just cause that's just what we do. Uh, yeah, I just think sure. it's an awesome way to get, you know, from a phone or a computer and have that all in front of you, but also look at the huge, you know, the big picture, like you said, finding those bedding areas and seeing how they would use the terrain. And, you know, I'm just restating what you said, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah um, I think it's, it's just another, anything you can do to optimize success is it all it all helps and that's just one thing and maybe maybe some people think i'm crazy but i just think <laughs> once you actually look at a map that big right in front of you mm -hmm. you can put it on your wall you can set it on your kitchen table whatever and you look it over and you just see things that you don't see on a phone screen yeah or a computer screen it's just it's pretty neat there's a um dan the, the fitness guy from elk shape I, I don't know if you've heard of him um, he does elk collective, uh, and he does the elk shape podcast. He's, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 He, uh, I was watching one of his videos and he does the same thing. He prints off these maps, but he gets like super type a, like <laughs> super anal about it. Like he color codes everything. He has like eight different colors. He highlights roads, he highlights watersheds and he like circles these areas yep. and it's, it's nuts, but it totally makes sense. Cause then he really gets a feel for what he's going to do when he comes into an area and plan out yeah. exactly how he's going to work that. Um, right. And then what I'll do a lot of times is I'll look at that map and then I'll find a spot like, Hey, I want to look, I want to check this out. Then I'll go on to Onyx. I'll find the exact same spot, like within 50 yards and zoom all the way in on that and look at it again with a different map perspective. And a lot of times you kind of compare the two and you see something you might not have thought was there. Cause if you're using like a contour map, you don't have any trees. So you don't know how thick it is. It's just more of a terrain map. So mm -hmm. then you want to cross-reference it and see what kind of cover there is there, uh, what kind of food you think is there, so on and so forth. It's just a really cool, really cool tool. And I know a lot of like outfitters and guides and stuff, they have big maps of their place and they'll like show their clients like this is where the tree stand is and kind of explain it to them. It's all kind of the same principle, mm -hmm. but it's, I think it's really effective way to scout and just help out and it's kind of cool to have a big map of an area you hunt and just be able to 
stare at it at night while you're drinking a bush light or whatever beer, <laughs> you know, yeah, you might think absolutely. of something genius that, that night. It might come to you like, I need a tree stand right here. And then you kill 180 that year out of that stand. You never know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then, you know, of course, on nights like this where I'm stuck in my apartment or whatever, and I can't hunt. And you, like you said, you're sitting back drinking a bush latte, but your mind is constantly going on hunting. Like I have a one track mind and I'm, it sounds like you're the exact same way. It's just like oh, constantly yeah. thinking about it. And this is just another way to really, yep. <laughs> really annoy your girlfriend, wife or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Luckily my, my wife, usually works pretty early in the morning so she goes to bed a lot earlier than me most of the time mm-hmm. and so i'll just like the boys are sleeping she's in bed and pretty soon i'm like holy cow it's midnight and all i did on my phone was just like cruise through onyx and like 100 <laughs> percent hunting stuff like where am i going shed hunt next week and i didn't even realize that i had spent two to three hours doing it but the amount of like you just get so familiar with an area by doing that, that when you get there, you almost feel like you were already there. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I, I think the worst thing I could have done was get, uh, the top tier of Onyx because now I have all 50 States and yep. <laughs> the amount yeah, of time yeah. that I kill <laughs> or oh, waste, yeah. however you want to look at it is just ridiculous, <laughs> oh, but it's, it's fun um that's so funny <laughs> so kind of getting back uh let's let's move on to the next topic because we could go on for hours about this or at least i could um yeah. so we we're doing the, the boots to the ground in late winter early spring we're looking at maps we're, we're trying to find some new areas um the april rolls around and turkey season comes into play how are you yeah, using turkey yep. hunting uh as a scouting tool How's it going? Good. I'm doing a podcast right now. I work here. So. Thank you. Sorry, man. That's Security okay. guard. That's all good. I'll, <laughs> I'll cut it out here. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. <laughs> but uh, I would say turkey hunting, uh, we we do a fair amount of turkey hunting. Uh, a lot of times turkey hunting turns into shed hunting, especially when we're in elk country, because we'll go out and we we might not get in the birds might be kind of quiet that morning or something, whatever the case. And if they are, then we end up going shed hunting right away, but it's kind of the <laughs> same as, uh, I would, I would kind of relate it back to what we were talking about with shed hunting, different sign you see, I mean, different scrape lines you find different bedding areas. And now you're kind of into that spring slash rolling into early summer months. And so some of those deer, you might even see a deer that has a fair amount of growth already. Um, just anything you can, any intel you can gather is good intel. But I guess the majority of our turkey hunting is done in elk country. And mm-hmm. I think both Jeremy and I, Austin, Austin's our other <clears throat> uh, buddy that does bucks storm with us. But he, uh, we all kind of are addicted to picking up elk sheds. So we'd kind of do both. It works out. We just high ground with the shotgun. If we get a turkey fired up, we go after them. Otherwise we just kind of look for sheds or a boat. Yeah, man. Um, we do just depends. And some days we just leave them behind and go look for sheds, but yeah, I mean, it is definitely nice. And we find sheds by turkey hunting. It just depends, but yeah, anything really just get out basically, you know, the more Intel you have, like you said, the better there's no such thing as bad Intel. And, and, whether you're hiking with a shotgun looking for turkeys or you're just walking around because your wife kicked you out or you're just yeah. having fun, like just anything <laughs> sure, to dude. get, get out and, and, uh, learn more about the area you want to be in. Um, yeah, which, I couldn't agree more. Um, that's exactly how I use it too. Um, so we'll kind of, you know, we could do a whole nother podcast about summer scouting too. So we'll kind of go into, maybe we can do that at another time or something. But yeah. so in this off season time, we're hiking, looking for sheds, we're turkey hunting, e-scouting, but then we, we can't neglect the fact that, you know, we can do all this stuff to find animals, but we still have to be able to make an ethical shot, whether it's your bow, your rifle, whatever you're using, muzzle loader. Absolutely. What are you yeah, doing in I the off season? Yeah. What are you doing in the off season to prepare with, with uh, whatever weapons are you going to be using that year? Yeah, so I do, I try to 
shoot my bow every single week, worst case scenario. Once summer gets here, I shoot almost every day, every day that I possibly can. I have a conveniently a new archery range in Rapid City <laughs> that's literally like less than half a mile from my house. So I go there like in the mornings, I'll get up really early and I'll go shoot for like 30, 45 minutes before the boys even wake up. Then I can be home and still get them ready and to be daycare and everything. So I just kind of make time because I don't have a lot of time usually after work. So I try to shoot every time I shoot, I try to shoot a minimum of 20 arrows. That's just kind of my thing. I feel like it gives you a little better muscle memory. Um, mm -hmm. And the most important thing is just to shoot in general. I mean, I know guys that'll shoot 10 yards in their basement if they didn't get a chance to shoot. It's just a muscle memory thing. You know, you get used to that same exact routine every single time. And it's, it's like riding a bike. It just comes natural at a certain point. Like, I think we could all say you've, you shoot a deer and sometimes you're like, you don't, you can't remember it. Like you, you try to think what happened and you don't remember even settling your pin, mm -hmm. but you, you put an arrow in the perfect spot. Like obviously you went through the steps and did it right, but it's, it just becomes a natural thing. So I like to shoot a lot of arrows. And another thing I think is important is what I would call effective range. And so in my opinion, effective range is if, if you can put three consecutive arrows in an eight inch circle at that range, that would be like an effective range in my opinion. Now, when you start talking like a hundred yards, that's always a controversy that mm -hmm. comes up. But the, the thing about shooting long range is there's nothing keeping that animal there. So then, then it's just kind of a personal belief more than anything, but I typically won't take a long shot on a deer unless they're, they're not spooky. You know, like they come in, they have no idea you're there. Mm -hmm. They're less likely to jump the string. If they're edgy, I'll never take a longer shot at one, even though I'm confident shooting paper out to a hundred yards, putting them eight inches. But I like, I think that's one thing some people overlook. They're like, maybe they don't shoot their bow as much and they're like, Oh, I have a 60 yard pin and I hit the target twice last time mm -hmm. I shot. Yeah. But in absolutely. my opinion, unless you're putting eight inches in the eight inch groups at that range, and it should maybe even be smaller than that, but that's just my personal opinion. And hopefully you're have tighter than eight inch groups inside of 40, but it's neither here so. nor there. <laughs> but like what I've noticed is like from, like 70 yards, I can consistently put them in like a four inch circle, but at a hundred, it's about an eight inch circle. And that's kind of where I draw that line where when it starts to expand outside of that eight inch circle, a guy shouldn't be shooting that far. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like to shoot those longer distances. I feel like it makes the, the shorter ones feel a little easier too, but yeah. most importantly, just shoot a ton of arrows. Yeah. And then I've heard a lot of guys like their effective range, they might cap themselves out at 40 yards when they're hunting, but they consistently practice between 60 to 80. Cause just like you said, um, yep. just shooting that longer distances makes that 40 yards when you got a deer in front of you or an elk so much, right? you know, almost, I, would, I don't want to say easier, but kind of easier. Yeah. And I think another big bonus, even, I mean, I'm, I am a hundred percent on board for people that you watch a hunting show or something and they pass the deer at like 47 yards because they're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. I can don't that hundred percent. I think that's awesome to see takes some willpower, but a lot of guys are just throwing arrows and they're not comfortable and then they end up wounding deer. But I think a big benefit to practicing out to those further ranges is maybe a guy is not going to take an 80 yard shot on a deer, but let's say God forbid a person makes a poor shot and your follow-ups at 80 and you already have an arrow in that deer, the most ethical thing to do in that situation is get another arrow in that deer. And if you're at least semi-confident semi out to those longer ranges, that could actually, it actually has worked for me. The I ended up putting another arrow in an antelope that I just made a poor shot on. I just, you know, it was just one of those things that happens every once in a while. And had I not practiced out to that further range, I don't know if I would have ever recovered him because it was a 90 degree day. I was just sick about what happened. I got to 92 yards and I had practiced all summer out to a hundred. Didn't plan on shooting that far. 
but it was 92 yards and it was a follow-up shot and I smoked him. And had I not practiced out to that range, I guarantee you I would have never recovered that animal. Or if I did, it would have been a day later and the meat would have been spoiled. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I think it's, it's a good tool just to build confidence. And like you said, after you shoot at 80, a 20 yard shot feels like you could like throw a dart, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a great point, you know, being able to shoot out of those distances for that exact reason. And that's a great example. Um, cause you know, those antelope, they really trying to get close to those is almost impossible in, in the open country. Yeah. And um, it could happen with a deer too, a spot mm-hmm. stock mule deer, yep. even a hunting whitetails from the ground, whatever the case. I mean, even out of a tree stand, if you hit one and it ran and stopped and you got one more shot and you already hit it, it's one of those things where if you have a little more confidence, it's just going to lead to a little bit better success or a little more ethical ending to the whole deal instead of failing to recover a deer that's got shot or whatever the case. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to remember it's that. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah it is the bragging rights that come along with it too <laughs> right, right. Um, and we got to remember you know as hunters we're trying to make an ethical shot um so no matter what you're shooting whether it's a bow or whether it's a rifle or muzzle loader uh, or even a handgun if that's if that's what you choose to do um yep. you just have to be you have to be confident in it you don't want to go out there and say you got a new muzzle loader you shot it five times because it's a pain in the butt to clean every shot and you're like, yeah, I might be able to hit paper at a hundred yards, but I'm going to go try to shoot a deer at a hundred yards. Like that's, that's not what hunting is about. Um, and so, I mean, that might be to you, but I strongly disagree with it. <laughs> I'll be straight. Right. Up with no, it, no, but, no. I, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, no matter what you're shooting, no matter what your weapon of choice is, just be confident with it. Um, let's talk uh, briefly about some rifle drills, like, because you guys, and do a lot of bow hunting but you all you're also rifle hunters and you know we're all opportunistic hunters i feel like oh yeah um yep and so what kind of drills how often are you shooting your rifle what are you doing with that well being a mostly a bow hunter that turned rifle hunter we probably don't shoot our rifles as much as most guys but we kind of know our range so like me personally i rarely ever pull the trigger on a rifle over 300 yards because mm-hmm. that's what i practice out to I don't have a $2,000 scope. I don't have a $2,000 rifle. We kind of treat rifle hunting like bow hunting. And we've actually ended up shooting quite a few deer that we kind of wish we would have had our bows because we were in bow range and it was all said and done. But <laughs> it's just one of those deals. We'll go out um, at least a few weeks before season, make sure everything's dialed in. And then usually we'll even shoot again like the day before season and throughout the season to make sure our gun is still sighted in because there's nothing worse than missing a deer just to find out your scope got bumped and you're off two feet or six inches or whatever it might be enough so we i'm probably not the right guy to ask about rifle drills i guess i'll put it that way but (laughs) we know our limitations we've had a lot of the same rifles for a long time we go out we shoot them we make sure they're dialed in and we're not throwing prayers at 500 yards like I'm the first person to admit that if we went out to the range shooting at 500 yards and you shoot all the time, you're going to think I'm an idiot, but <laughs> I know my distance. So, I mean, if I'm inside of 300 or with my wife's newest gun, I have that one sighted out to 350. I know exactly where to put the scope and it's, <laughs> that- it shoots flat. So it's, it's just one of those things you just got to kind of go with what, you know, if you, if you're not shooting as much, make sure you know your limitations. Yeah, that that new rifle didn't happen to be her uh, Christmas present. That's now now in your safe, is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, it was the birthday present, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but she's lucky though; she won a gun too. And oh, nice. <laughs> when we hunt together, it's her gun, so it's all good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you, you still get to have fun with it. Uh, oh yeah. Anyway, so we covered yeah. a lot of information and there's there, there's a lot that we could go much more in depth on. Um, but we're we're pushing a time limit here and I think we actually went past kind of what I planned on, but once you get going, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> it's yeah, some we'll good conversation sometime and yeah, for sure. Thanks um, for having me on. It was yeah. good and like I said if anyone ever wants to reach out that has any 
questions or anything, they can reach out anytime. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Just Buckstorm. So if you have to type in, it'll pop right up. So yeah, it sure does. So Buckstorm, yeah. reach out to those guys. They've got some awesome videos online. I'm a personal fan, so I've, I've watched quite a few of them. Um, don't be afraid. They're obviously some good guys. This is uh, one of the first times I've actually talked to Travis myself. He's obviously an easy guy to talk to. So um, don't hesitate to reach out, subscribe to their stuff, and uh, just get out there and, and uh, enjoy hunting in the great state of South Dakota. Thank you so much, Travis. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, you're absolutely right. We'll have to try to do this again. Yeah, thanks, CJ. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Next yeah, time we'll have to get Jeremy on here too. Oh yeah, man, we'll we'll really get off the bunny trail quite a bit then. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure. He might keep it going actually. Oh man, good times. All right, thanks, Travis. Thanks, CJ. And I tell you guys what, that was a fun episode. Sorry about all the bunny trails, but uh, we were just having a good time. And if you didn't catch it, the special guest was the, the, the car lots that Travis works for, security guard, checking to make sure Travis wasn't, I guess, some drunk passed out in his pickup in their lot. Uh, in that bush, by the way, that or shrub that Travis couldn't think of, uh, that, the, that the deer browse on throughout the wintertime is bearberry. Anyway, these guys are good stuff, and, and they mean it when they say shoot them a message and they'll try to help you out or answer any questions that you've got. I mean, this episode is, what, like an hour, and, and Travis and I were just BSing and talking for a solid two hours and probably two and a half hours. Um, so they're just easy to talk to. So head on over, give them a follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, they put out some awesome content, uh, and it also helps stave off a little bit of cabin fever. And if you like today's episode... Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and go check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram at South Dakota Unlimited and give us a follow there if you could, please. If there's anything or anyone else you want on this podcast, uh, if you have any ideas, shoot me a message and I'll do my best to make it happen. Um, That's what this is all about is just helping the good people of South Dakota get some good content about hunting and fishing and doing whatever in the outdoors in this awesome state. So until next time, go shoot your bow, do some scouting, shed hunting, e-scouting, just so you can stay sane if you're like me. And thanks for listening.